Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 685. Do you have anything on the, uh, well, I should promote, I would like to promote the stand-up cluster, which we are yes. doing, we're recording our live stand-up comedy uh, special, uh, our, 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 new, our new stable of comedians coming through. Did I, did I announce everyone? Yeah, yeah, I did, we, yeah, everyone. We did it on uh, last it's, episode. It's going to be a pretty, and that's, pretty fantastic lineup. Monday, June, June 8th, 8th yeah. at NerdMelt at 9 p.m. If you go to NerdMeltLA.com, you can get tickets. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward fun. to it. Yeah, Totino's is sending it. There's going to be a food truck yeah, there. Yeah, I was just going to say. So, uh, <laughs> so we're going to be all, it's, it's going to be all good. So come down and we're live recording. I'm hosting the show. So, um, awesome. But, I, but it's not too much. I'm not doing too much. I'm just, I'm just bringing people up and doing a little bit of warm up up top. Because it's about them, Katie Levine. It's about the stand-up. It's, it's a, a cluster. It's about them. It's a cluster of humans. It's a, <laughs> a human, human stand-up comedy cluster. What do you have on the Nerds Community Corkboard? Well, remember uh, a couple months ago, we promoted the Earbuds uh, documentary about podcasting. We were both in it. I, I think. do. Yeah. Well, they're premiering the trailer on Nerdist exclusively today. Fuck yeah, and we are. And if it's not there right now, it will be in a little bit. I don't know. It depends what time people are listening to this. It's going up in the morning, Pacific time at some point. But yeah, if you go to Nerdist.com, you'll see it. And it's the first trailer that's come out from it. And that's you can also fantastic. go to ComedyFilmNerds.com to find out more info or Chris Earbuds and, Movie. Chris and Graham. Yeah, EarbudsMovie.com. To find out more info. Fantastic. But it's going to, they've traveled the entire world talking to podcast fans. So, These guys are really like, let's just fucking roll up our sleeves and yeah, do it. They, they did a great job. Like, it they was really awesome. They also the podcast festival uh, yeah, each year, which LA is getting Pod bigger Fest. and bigger. And I'm always out of town whenever they do it. Yeah, one of these years I'll be there. One, <laughs> one year. That's a, that, that festival is a lot of fun. I really like that festival. It's happening again this year. I yeah, think. in September. Good, 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 good. Mm-hmm. Um, this episode is John Cusack. Which I'm, I mean, John Cusack was in so many movies that He's were in very influential movies. to me, and I always loved him and everything. And if there was a John, if if John Cusack was in a movie, I instantly liked it, even if I hadn't seen it yet, because I just. <laughs> I'm, I'm he's just, so likable. He's, he's relatable. He's very relate, and, and so I didn't. You know, we talked about a lot of stuff this, but we didn't talk a ton about specific trivia from each movie because I just sort of figured like he's talked about these movies a million times, yeah. and I didn't want to. I didn't want it to be like an interrogation. He was a super great hang though, and and really funny. And and afterwards, we emailed all day. Uh, we were emailing back and forth, and he was like. 
you know, and I said, oh, I was a little shy about asking you too much about the, you know, the movies. And he was like, oh, well, as long as I know that someone is actually a fan of the stuff and not just, you know, that it's not bullshit, that I would, I'm totally happy to talk about the stuff. So he was like, I'd love to come back on. So oh, that would be awesome. So we'll, you should totally we'll have, we'll come back, back on. on. Uh, he said he would love to, to come back on, but uh, he, was a, he was a phenomenal guest. So uh, <laughs> we're going to get right to that in a sec. This episode, he's promoting Love and Mercy, which is the movie about Brian Wilson. Uh, he of, looks of great. The Beach Boys. And it's, I saw it, I, I saw yeah. it the night before we did the podcast, and it's fucking fantastic. I mean, the performances, Cusack's great in it, Elizabeth Banks is great as it, Paul Giamatti is fantastic. And Paul, Paul Dano yeah. is 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 incredible like the everyone it's a it's a beautiful movie and it's a tragic movie that of course no spoilers but it, it ultimately ends okay it ends <laughs> well like brian wilson ends up what if they change the ending oh my god Kyle, where did you come through? from through the walls i live here oh, now get out of our walls never <laughs> get out of our walls right, boy. <laughs> uh, we have to give you tic tacs kyle's, so kyle's gonna be performing at the uh at the comedy I'm, show I'm that nerd stand-up cluster i'm very means, excited uh, that you're doing it it's crazy um, Nurse Podcast number 685 with John Cusack. Now entering Nerdist.com. I adore her, and I'm, uh, God, she's one of those people that I always want to spend more time with, and then, like, a year goes by, I'm like, I haven't talked to her in, like, a year. What is she doing these days? I don't know. I haven't seen her for a little while, but I think she's in Hawaii. Oh, good. And then she's doing stuff for Virgin, and... Yeah. She feeling feeling okay? Yeah, I think so. Good. Feeling really good. Good, good, good. She seems to be, like, in the rearview mirror. Oh, my God. I mean, when that was happening, it just felt... It felt like it was never going to end, and then now, I guess it's been like two years or something, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. She's good. There's there's this sort of um, cluster of... Jenny's one of those people that like, oh, if she's, if she's playing with something, that's probably something that you want to take a look at, because she just... She's such an early adopter. Like, she's so ridiculously smart. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, about a lot of things, but certainly in that... In that Silicon Valley tech gadgety kind of way, right? Yeah, she definitely is wired in there. Do you play in that world at all? A little bit, yeah. What kind of stuff do you like? Um, as far as as far as like when you're looking at you know like when you're looking at services or social media or tech, I mean, what, what is it? What do you what do you like? What He's is super into vape pens. He's got two. He's got two. He's got two. Uh, Bring it up again. I'll pull one from behind your ear. Another one. Like one of these vape pens should really like send an alert to social media. Like when you when you when you. Uh, Let's see if I have an app. (laughs) (laughs) To change my. Freeze into the phone. I don't have the vape pen app, but I do all stuff with Jenny on uh, this Freedom of Press Foundation. So a lot of it is some of the apps that are more about. Security and privacy. And oh, that's great. That's great. Well, then you must be uh, very happy that uh, that the 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 privacy stuff didn't didn't pat. Like, yeah, it's a weird it's a weird thing because the on the the board of uh, the Jenny, I, John Perry Barlow, Glenn Greenwald, Laura Poitras, um, Trevor Tim, and Edward Snowden were all on the board. So we sort of saw this stuff coming. Um, 
And you're never going to do anything until you change up this, this FISA court and uh, the Espionage Act. Right. They basically have a kangaroo court that's saying it's a secret court. And Trevor put this thing on the, on the website saying, see if you can tell the difference between the FISA court and Kafka's The Trial. <laughs> let's take let's, – and, and if, you, if you find out, you actually have more protection – in Kafka land wow. than you do here. Wow. So you can take the quiz and you can put it up if you guys ever see it. Yeah. But uh, anyway, we, that's getting more into politics. No, 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 that's okay. That's I don't okay. know, but I, 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 it seems like that, that is not necessarily what I, we have to talk about. No, we can talk about a variety that's, of things. That's what I mean. Because this is just a... We can, talk about, <laughs> we can talk about anything you want. I mean, this isn't really... You know what I was trying to say? To How people, can I serve you here? No, please. I don't know what <laughs> first of all, you are here and that makes me very happy. Should, should well, I take, first off... It's time take for Marimba Lessons. Fuck it. No, but it's, but uh, this isn't really. I know. I just don't. I, there's. I have no agenda. Well, let's. Start, I have no timetable. Let's start I have no off. Menu. With, let's start off with the no official <laughs> reason that you're here because Why? I watched Love and Mercy last night, and oh. it's fucking great. Did Thank you, you. Did you like it? Yeah, you know I'm not the best person to. Do you say. watch your? Can you watch your stuff? I uh, later I, I watch. You know, you just get so immersed in it. By the time you're done, you you know you, I'm just already on to something else, and you sort of let it go, and then you have to start talking about it again. But that's just the weird cycle of movies. It's uh, you know, it, they they sent me the screener over the weekend, and 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 I actually I had time, and I watched it, and uh, it's worth a look for sure. It's such an amazing story, and it's a very sad story, which. All the happy parts of the story are sort of like after the movie's over. It's like, oh, well, you know, he's, he married Ledbetter and they had five kids and then they've been together all this time. And that's all the happy stuff. Yeah. But, but getting, from, getting from Paul Dano, Brian Wilson, to Cusack, Brian Wilson, just all uh, – it's, it's such a and – I, and I had just watched – I was just in Austria and I watched Amadeus while I was in Austria just so I could identify the different buildings. Nice. And uh, – <laughs> Also a nice pull for this too. You know, they, he, we, they, uh, they always say that Brian – like the heavyweights, not yeah. like just fans like me and you say he's the Mozart of rock and roll. Well, that's the thing. And, and that's true. And so that's why I saw these parallels and not only just in the way that he – just in the way that the story presents how he – seem to visualize music and you know oh I just hear all these it's almost like he was almost like Salieri says about Mozart it's like he was taking dictation it almost seems like Brian Wilson is taking dictation in the yeah. studio and trying to explain That's, to people I was watching the Wrecking Crew documentary I don't know if you guys have seen oh yeah it. it's so right. good but uh, it's about the studio musicians in the all 60s. those characters are in the movie are they? Oh, right. yeah, fantastic yeah. but sure. they were all talking about how Brian Wilson would come in and they'd have 20 musicians uh, and he'd go to the first guy and he'd start going, humming apart, and he'd run down the line, and by the time we got back to the first person, they had forgotten, and he'd just go, okay, well, here it is. <laughs> like, do that three times. You know, you, you know you got to check out is if you really want to get into, if, if the movie piques your interest and you really want to get into it, listen to the Smile Sessions and the Pet Sound Sessions. Mm-hmm. They're incredible documents because you hear the Pet Sounds Sessions, so you can hear him taking a line and then working it. And you have no idea where that's going, and the musicians don't know where it's going, but he, with one ear, knows where it's going. And then you start to see him build it. And then by the end of it, you have God Only Knows, or you have um, Sloop John B. You have all these songs that are so into the DNA of... They're like the, they're now in our DNA, musically, but yeah. there was a time when none of that was there. Right. And no one had ever used or- orchestral stuff in rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think like Phil Spector, him, the Beatles, that you can see this explosion of stuff. So because imagine, too, here's a 25 year old guy with one ear 
and across the Atlantic, there's the Beatles and there's George Martin, two little songwriters, Lennon and McCartney. <laughs> They're doing their thing, and Ringo Starr, George Harrison, and then there's just one guy in California with like one ear. Yeah, and they're both like kind of in this weird arms race to find this. New, I have this terrible analogy, but it, it was a kind of a friendly competition where yeah. he would hear Rubber Soul and like his mind would get blown, and then he would write God Only Knows, and then their minds would get blown. So they were they were so respectful of each other. But that kind of because I think there's good competitiveness and there's bad competitiveness. I think competition is good when it drives innovation. Yeah, I think it's bad when you're like, I'm going to destroy that other person and yeah. salt the earth. No, no, they. I mean, I think yeah. they, they, they respected oh, each they, other. I think they more than yeah. respected. They uh, revered each other, and uh, the Beatles revered um, uh, Brian. So when you hear the sessions, you can hear him kind of because if you think about it now. You can create any amount of sounds you want, and you could say, "Let's pull up the you know the Mozart," and you, right. we could start playing Mozart. But you have to kind of visualize sound, bring it into a studio, mic it, and then do it on an eight-track you know cassette. It's 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 so you hear that whole process, and, and are- you hear him doing weird things like telling um, symphony. Um, musicians, right? And he's 24, 25 years old, saying, yeah, you're hitting the note, but you got to make it ache. And then he says, third um, trombone to the left, middle mic, one inch off. <laughs> she, uh, and then he says, then he'll say, and he goes, you, uh, back there, you're, you're, sh- you're shaking the shaker, uh, but doesn't sound right. Do you got any keys? Yeah, bring your keys out, shake the keys. And he goes, yeah, but you, know, you can't just shake it. You got to make it sound like jewelry. And then he goes, yeah, that sounds like Julie. Okay, let's go again. Let's make it. <laughs> so you hear, like, you actually hear, it's like, it's basically having a, um, if you wanted to say it, you'd have like a behind the scenes Mozart vibe where you oh. put one of his things together. Yeah. So it, it's hard to say that because those, all that music is so ingrained in everyone's consciousness. And right. Then, you know, by the 80s, it was sort of a weird revival band, right? With the Beach Boys coming yeah, out. Yeah. But if you, think, if you think about before those sounds ever were here and yeah. what rock and pop music sounded like then you can hear everything in the smile sessions that's coming for the next 40 years you yeah. hear sergeant peppers like paul mccartney was chewing carrots on sergeant peppers no, no he was chewing carrots on a song called vegetables on the smile session right then he went back to london and then they made sergeant peppers so he obviously <laughs> like once a mind is stretched it can't go back <laughs> it was one of those deals but watching them talk and they go oh on rubber soul they just basically took this thing and went dead and i'm sure there's stuff the beatles were like oh well they just took this and then yeah. you know, so they they needed each other yeah. yeah but when you hear smile sessions and pet sound sessions you can literally watch an explosion of kind of creativity happen like in slow motion in a way because he's he hears it in order, like you, you have to visualize music a long time before it arrives, or you have to hear it to to like invite fifty musicians to a, <laughs> to <Yeah>. Western studios, <laughs> you know, while while they're waiting for the next number one record, you right, know. Yeah. And you were used used to be doing like uh, you know surf songs and right. <laughs> these other things. So it's pretty wild to think what he was doing. Well, also, well, because the Beatles basically started the same way, where it was just like, oh, we're just going to do rock. kitschy little pop and covers, and then, yeah, they're and then something band. opened up, and they, you know, it was like they just opened this other dimension of, oh, this is where music can go, and the, and the technology in the 60s as it began to open up in different ways to There's experiment a, with, with... Interesting documentary made in the 70s called John Lennon's Jukebox, and what it is is it's a John Lennon's Jukebox, but John talks about each of the records he has in there, and like what his influences were from each of these, like, and he'll be like, "Well, this song 
if you listen to this riff right here, I sort of stole that and put that in here, and it's just really fascinating, sort of the evolution of that. And they talk oh, to the wow. musicians who made yeah, the and music. all all of the, all the musicians talk that way, yeah. and I, I think any anybody we, we're we're all subject to influences. Yeah. But even if you hear Bob Dylan when he talked to at that music care thing, he says, oh, yeah, "Well, yeah. no one can imagine how this song was written, but if you really look back at it and you listen to Woody Guthrie this many times, you can see how this <laughs> chord would go here." And, and, and he starts to do that, and so you can really, you can really, yeah. you can see that with Brian as well. You can see it because he loved the Four Freshmen, yeah. and he was out in California in, in, a, what, in the fifties, and he remembers going into a music. Um, they used to have these music boxes in record stores, and he would put on headphones and listen to these Four Freshmen who were were singing this um these harmonies and he said his life life was never the same once he heard them then he heard phil specter and he his kids would say he would literally when he was when they were growing up every morning he would play be my baby like as loud as he could throughout the whole house and he would just be like lying on the floor trying to soak it in (laughs) but like every day like not not 300 days a year 365 (laughs) days a year well it's funny like when you when you see it when you see a story in a movie there's only so much time that you have so it's always it's always funny to me where they sort of suggest you know oh i'm singing this part now now you guys come in and the rest of them come in with the most insane five-part harmony like I want to know what the rehearsal process was for getting them to because obviously it's like okay you do the third you do the fifth but then you do this other sort of weird augmented thing and weave in through everybody you, else you will you will love those smile sessions right. that sound sessions because you hear Brian doing it all and getting everybody to do it and they're just throwing off seven part harmonies he's <laughs> like no 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 but he's like he knows exactly what he wants well the other parallel that I was kind of noticing is that uh uh Mozart's father and Brian Wilson's father uh, were both uh, seemed to be uh, huge dicks, and so is is there something about is there something about that 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 sadly created a kind of introverted life that uh, that where genius was spawned, or do, you know do you think do you think someone needs trauma or that level of tragedy to go inward to then re-express something is it was it was kind of a sad bittersweet like you don't want to watch someone get abused then you go you know if he hadn't had that life would he have been the man that he was would he have created what he have created you know like do you ever think about yeah i think about all that shit all the time <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean just as, as yourself as a performer you're like well i think it's like if you look at obviously we're sitting here talking and I came in and I said, okay, so what's this show? And all of a sudden you know that there's a format. Things are formatted, right? Right. And, and you say, oh, no, this isn't really a formatted thing. You don't have to talk about your movie. Right. It, it, it's, and so you're like, oh, okay, there are no rules. We can talk about whatever the fuck we yeah. want, right? Yeah, So I think every artist, I think, wants to break past these pre-formatted assumptions and givens, right, and just be free and creative and expressive. But I think... You, you sort of edit yourself, and I think when people have had maybe a certain kind of a trauma, there's if you really want to explore, there's some something alchemical that happens where you take your own pain and turn it into something beautiful, and that's what I think a lot of artists do. But I don't think you necessarily have to suffer to be an artist. That's I just, good. I, I don't. I don't know. I think it, it's it's so individual. I don't. I don't believe. I think that's a bit of a. I think everybody has enough suffering where if they can tap into it. You know, because I almost think for some. But I do. I, don't, I, I do. You do wonder whether you know if uh, if Mozart's father was a little less authoritarian, or if uh, Murray Wilson, 
you know, didn't hit Brian so hard, <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe that maybe the music wouldn't be as beautiful, you know. So maybe there's a wisdom to all the life experience and suffering of a person. But he's such an extreme example because we're not all geniuses. And right. And those two people, I think, were. But it was it was it was interesting. But I don't know. How, there's no answer to that right. question. Of course, right. Of course. You because everyone no, no, expresses. there is. Get it. Find out <laughs> the answer. Because oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to come up with ultimate truth. I don't have ultimate truth. We're, we're going to be here until we figure this out, John. I don't have the answer. But it's interesting to watch him essentially reconstruct a similar situation over and over again in his life. Mm. Is is having that, especially with the the Landy character, who the second you see the guy, you're like, "Will someone just shoot this guy in the face, please?" You know, there's an incredible thing if you want to see it. Like, there's on YouTube, Diane Sawyer like does it, and this is like right at the end of his run when you know he was being rightfully seen to be like a complete fraud and psychopath, and she just does an interview where he just disintegrates on camera. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Because she's like, you are breaking every doctor-patient ethic in history. What are you doing? This is disgusting. I mean, she actually obliterates the guy, and it's wow. it's really satisfying. Oh way. wow! Well, yeah. that's great. I mean, yeah. yeah. So it, it, you know, it's uh, it's wild. Do you think we spend most of our adult lives trying to re-express or or, or make up for our childhood? Hmm. A Freudian, maybe. I mean, just Do you. I don't know. I think in some cases, yeah. I think in some cases because, to me... What happened to you, man? <laughs> what happened to me? I, nothing really severe happened. I moved a lot when I was a kid. Uh, but my parents were awesome and very supportive. And But I was always a new kid. And so I think I always... You know, for me, comedy was a defense mechanism. I was very small and underdeveloped as a... As a you know, I didn't grow until late in high school. And so I, I wasn't sportsy. I didn't understand sports, but I understood. I was obsessed with comedy and, and science and sci-fi and video games and technology. And in a pre-internet world, most other people were not. It was a very it was early adoptery, so most other people weren't that. So it was, you know, I, I think comedy was just a defense mechanism. I'm positive it was a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. So I think that I know, but but I know that when people, no matter how old you get, when you think about yourself you still feel a lot of the things that you felt when you were a kid or you still, if someone says something, you take it like someone was attacking you when you were a kid and you, I feel like I constantly have to remind myself, oh yeah, I'm not 14. No, yeah. I'm a fucking grown up. <laughs> and my circumstances are different now. Do you mm. think that or do you not feel that way? Uh, I think I seem to have um, peaked uh, at, and, and have remained either uh, incredibly stunted or um, <laughs> gloriously consistent <laughs> In my, I don't know what I am actually. I really? No. Was was your? Were you pretty? The, the final mystery is is oneself, right? I guess so. And I guess it's you know you'll never really fully understand the depths because I just think we don't have the you don't have the tools to be as you, you can't you can't be as introspective as you would want to be. I don't think it's possible. Like there's just too much. Your brain's just too many experiences that you can't access all of them. You just you couldn't ever know yourself fully. I don't think. Yeah, I mean the the good thing is if you if you um, if you work in I guess in the arts in some way or the arts I don't even know what that means. If you're if you're alive, you you, you always have an opportunity to sort of unify yourself and understand understand things about yourself. Did you ever feel did you did you feel like you had a normal childhood at all? No, or was it not no, at all. I've had a, a freak show of a childhood. 
you know? I mean, with my parents and family, it was good. But then I started working when I was 15. Right. So I was in making movies since I was 15 years old. So that's not really normal, right? Well, how do you get from... You grew up in Illinois, right? Yeah. Chicago. So it was, was it... So, okay. So, okay, so Chicago was a bit of an entertainment hub at that point. Or did no, you go to... No, not really. I mean, it was... It was um, there's a big because theater. of John Hughes, though, right? But I was just lucky because I was I was into it. Like I was better at performing than I was at baseball or anything else. And I, yeah. I like comic books and I liked all the things. But I always liked if I was reading a great book or I saw a movie or a play, and that was a had a place of mystery and awe in it for me. So I was like, and I was better at it than I couldn't hit a curveball. Really, <laughs> I was a good good athlete, but not a great athlete or anything. There's people so much better than me, but I was good at this thing or people told me i was good at this thing so i kind of went there and then i was happened to be 16 when they were making movies about 16 year olds and i had a little experience so it was a little bit of a weird luck and karma to get into the movie business i think did you do you look back fondly at that time or is it do you is it do you feel like it was a mess no no i think it was it was a it was wild it was just um it was just not nor i don't think it was like a normal Thing to do to like leave high school and you know you're on a set with Jacqueline Bissett. <laughs> <laughs> this rocks, <laughs> and then you know you're getting paid money and like you know people are want to film you. It's like this was just not a normal thing. And then you know you come out to Hollywood and then you're it's a it's a difficult thing to. I mean Hollywood can be a pretty rough town on sure. people. There's lots of great things about California, but the business itself as an actor and in that it can be pretty savage, I think, to people. Yeah, and I think if, if we, if, unless we want to pretend like it's not. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we can't. You know, it's, we can't. You know, it's like it's we can say it's, it's fantastic. Everyone's wonderful to each other. No, 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 no. no. I mean, I've, I've always, I've always said I think that it, uh, you know, the business attracts a certain personality type. And then it sort of <laughs> brutalizes all of those things about people, like the insecurities and the sort of and, and the, the ego stuff and the yeah. the need for. So attention. it's so nice that you said it, and I didn't say. Yeah, that. no, so of I don't course. sound like a like. No, a, no, 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 yeah. no, no. I mean, you know, it's it, it, to to meet a performer who doesn't have some. I mean, it's and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you know, as a performer, you're you're we're I think. Performers are just hypersensitive because you you you're constantly absorbing your surroundings and then trying to re-express them. And so, correct, yeah, you're, you're naturally the good side about that is that I think you can, you know, it allows you to explore and re-express really cool things and interesting ideas and inhabit other characters. The downside is that we're fucking sensitive, like we're sensitive people, and it's very, you know, obviously, you know, I, I mean, I got into. Um, like boxing when I was a kid and martial arts because I love the honesty of it because I was like, look, if we're going to fight, let's fight. Right. But let's just not, don't triangulate, nothing passive aggressive. It's okay. Let's fight. But let's not pretend we're not fighting right. if we're fighting. Right. <laughs> because there's so many sort of, you know, people are so slippery around here because it has to do with all these kind of ideas of fame and status and am I bigger, you know, who's up, who's up and all these insecurities that sure. are bred. But I think there's a part of you, hopefully you, if you maintain your awe or your joy for what like what you love, then you basically you fight to survive all that bullshit, and then you keep that part of you still alive, and hopefully, you know you survive. But uh, I don't know if everybody does survive. People people seem to get crippled by it a little bit. Yeah. Are you good now at being able to determine whether or not 
you're making an ego decision or a decision that's actually healthy and will drive you closer to your goal. Because I feel like people say they, oh, I want this. This is a goal that I want. And then their fucking brains get in the way. Yeah. And it's like, oh, no, you're just feeding your ego. That's not actually not getting you closer to this thing that you say you want. So are you good at... You mean in terms of making making films or... Making films or, or working... Because you have different parts of your life, right? You know, right. Different parts. So which part do you mean? Um... I guess any part, really. Yeah. I mean, because every part is a different series of choices, and your, you know, your personal relationships are different than the types of reasons that you would take jobs or work around people or be able. But to those all people. feed into the same ego. But so. they all do. They all do ultimately feed into the, to the same ego. But I think work ego is different than personal ego. Yeah. Because you you need you need different things from your interpersonal relationships than you would than you would kind of want from whatever your career. But path. I think that's what fucks people up out here is that they don't separate it. They like combine like you know work with. With their own personal well-being or the way they think about themselves and so if they're not doing well in work they're a piece of shit human being that's definitely what happens you know as a younger person yeah you have to separate those things right because when you're younger you think oh my you know, your self-worth is dependent on whether this particular project or film realize what it could be and then you get down on yourself and you know there's so many variables when you things succeed or fail i mean people it's 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 so so how do you judge success i don't judge it at all in the beginning because i've had a i mean as far as like with films and work yeah like do do, you know can you you know what i try to do is just don't even think about it because i've had things where i put things out and people sort of go huh and then later on they go oh that was great we love that movie (laughs) but they didn't really like it when it came out so i think the time when it's very rare that you put something out and you can know what its value is, like, right? Like that sounds. Or yeah, but I mean, not everybody's Brian Wilson, right? But, you know, whatever our small little projects are, you, you don't really know, you know. And then sometimes, you know, people can't see a, if something's new. Sometimes you definitely don't see it right away. Yeah. Or if something's got a pulse, and then you, people find it later. So it's like if you write a song or a painting, it's it's rare that everyone says, "Okay, this is what this is." It's, we know exactly what that is. You have to live with it for right. or interact with it. Because sometimes, uh, so I, I don't really worry too much about what people say right when something comes out. I just sort of block it out. I mean, it's nice when people are saying, hey, love and mercy is great. Right. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they'll, in five years, they'll love it. Or, you know, they might, something else they say wasn't good, they might discover. It's happened so many times in films. I mean, I can think of a bunch of classic films that got savaged by the critics and then. 20 years later is kind of brilliant. It's funny that you Pet say Sounds that. and Smiles didn't, didn't get great uh, review. A Sweet Smell of Success, one of Burt Lancaster and Tony Curtis's best films. Classic. It was savaged by the critics. Um, Ironically. <laughs> uh, it's a Wonderful Life, savaged by the critics, and it was a box office failure. I was just... I, just saw, I mean, she just don't... Yeah, you know, th- those are pause. big examples, like, but yeah. I think it, generally you just don't know... It's silly to kind of think that if you're going to make a piece of art or, or create something that you should be able to define it right away, right when it comes out, and you should have all the information about it. It's not like it, it's got to go live. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's where all the ego stuff comes in because your ego is very much a, a short-term gain kind of a thing. It's like, what did I get in this moment? It's very difficult to say to yourself, well, maybe someday because there there's a subreddit I love called um, Obscure Media. And someone posted Gene Shalit's 1980 review uh, on Good Morning America of, um, or whatever show he was on, whatever morning show he was on, of The Shining. And he eviscerates The Shining. He absolutely eviscerates it. But in a way, I went into it thinking like, oh, what a dumb piece of shit. But the way that he actually eviscerates it, he makes some interesting points. 
But in the end, you know, he talks about how disappointing it is. And, you know, of course, we're, I'm even talking about it because it's Kubrick. But he doesn't ever fully realize. And although the performances are good, the film is ultimately meaningless. And like all this stuff. It's like, and it's the fucking Shining, you know? Yeah. yeah. So it's, it, it's, it's nice to look back at those things and go... No one fucking just make just make stuff make stuff the make way stuff. you want to make yeah. stuff make stuff and then you know take the hit and or take the compliment <laughs> and keep swimming. Is that easier uh, to do when like it's like you finish a project and then you're on to the next one? So you're not really like you said earlier. It's, it's like, a yeah. little weird because you, yeah. you when you when you've sort of processed it for yourself. Uh, and you're moving you're sort of like okay I'm done with that then everyone says now let's talk about it again you go well it, it was really good right or I'm really good. I don't know and you start to have to kind of you sort of moved on a little bit and I don't mean moved on but uh, but um, yeah you know like I have other things that I'm thinking about and working on and stuff so, yeah but it's nice though because in this one it, it feels like a, it's a good one to come back on because um, Brian is such a um, beautiful guy and important artist and his wife is great and and all that pain that he went through that is expressed in the film um which by the way you know it's not his entire life and you could do a whole miniseries going up to the first time he heard you know the four freshmen and the first beach boys album and that would be you could do eight hours on that but he did come through it all and he's very very um happy and he's got people around him who love him so he did survive a a really difficult period in his life and it's his legacy and it's an important one so it's it's nice to talk about it and, you know if you if you have to come out into the world and say beautiful things about Brian Wilson that are also true it's yeah. not such a bad way to no. yeah. spend a <laughs> week you spend time with him yeah 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 wow yeah yeah he was uh he was great he's very very much um and as you're talking about artists being sensitive he's a uh, uh <laughs> the prime example of that he's almost like aquine or something you know when you're, if you're sitting on a horse you don't have to say I'm angry. If you just feel angry, the horse knows. Right. <laughs> right. He's just, I think, a re- super sensitive person yeah. who can, his antennas just go up so high that sometimes it must be overwhelming. And then add fame on top of that, add people trying to control him, you know, and, and box in and format his creativity when he's Jackson Pollock or, you know, some genius. So it's, a, it's, a, it's a good story to tell. And I became very fond of the Wilsons, and but just about how and I mean, Paul Dano is great, and the oh. act, uh, other actors are great, and Elizabeth Banks. Everyone's performances are, are phenomenal. And, so it's a it's a kind of a cool it's a cool movie, and also just a, it's her character, and I think me as a person also loves how uh, it's kind of he's just he's just was just honest. He just would ever say whatever he it seemed like. He would say whatever he's feeling. He's still that way. It's like it's it's both like uh, enigmatic, vague, and sometimes cryptic, and sometimes funny. But he just doesn't have that sort of bullshit thing, which is like, okay, I guess I have to clock where we are, what's going on. <laughs> He'll just tell you the truth, yeah. and sometimes he just you might you might not be what you want, but he's. But I've never seen him. It's bizarre. I've I've never heard him say a bad word about anybody. Hmm. Really? No. Wow. I mean, he he'll say. Gosh, this is I, this makes I feel this way, but he never says, "Oh, you know, Chris Hardwick is a is a bastard, and he really did me wrong." Right? He'll just say, "Gosh, you know, I'm sitting with Chris Hardwick. I really felt really happy, or I felt really sad." He never, even Doctor Landy. I've never heard. I haven't heard wow. him. He doesn't. He doesn't say bad things about him. He just says that was a terrible time, and I felt really bad. Do you think that's a better way to be? I think. I think he survived a lot of stuff that maybe we wouldn't because, <laughs> I don't know, or I, or I wouldn't. Right. Because 
I don't know, he's got a capacity for forgiveness and uh, love that's pretty powerful. So I, I think it's probably a better way to be. It's when you said that you. But he's uh, a weird mixture because he's also a fucking survivor. Of course. I mean, but that it's not obvious unless I guess you've seen the movie or lived in, read the books and talked to him. But you know, well, the fact think, that he's still alive, like just take away everything that he accomplished, the fact that he's still alive, is is huge, considering everything that he went through, and not just like. Not just the abuse of his father, but also the '60s, like surviving. Oh, I was going to say '60s, <laughs> surviving the '60s. You know, like surviving the '80s was <laughs> was, was rough. But uh, but there, I think there was like this an explosion of uh, freedom, and then you know there was a backlash to it too, where people got caught up in in that in that much freedom. Yeah. When uh, I, mean, I know a lot of people who were from the '60s who were crippled by the experience, you know, in a way. Or, you know, we know about a lot of great artists who died or OD'd or, you know, went mad. And Yeah, because especially when they start, you know, I mean, to... I mean, I've always had a thing with anxiety. And so I can understand, as someone who used to drink a lot, that... You would self people would self medicate, particularly in the '60s. It just wasn't a lot of. It wasn't, we were not like a therapy. Cult, I assume it's not really a therapy culture. It's like figure your shit out by yourself. Yeah. And so, but to someone for someone to like medicate with acid and LSD to try to like make voices in their head to try to figure out. I mean, it's um, it, you, you just when you're fucking with your brain chemistry like that, you just don't know what you're unlocking or what you're shutting down or what you're. No. I mean, it's. Uh, and like I remember, you know, I I even remember in the eighties they were like, Oh yeah, cocaine, yeah, it's great. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the commercials for it. Yeah. It's you know, is, is that addictive? I don't know. Now, what what's addictive? <laughs> you know? I mean can you imagine like in the sixties what it must have been like? It must have just been a free for all. Were the eighties pretty wild for you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like I sounded like a beaten puppy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> real, real scary. What do you think was your biggest struggle with that? Because you basically you've worked nonstop since you started. No, I, I, I I've not worked all the time, but really? I think I've just been around so long that it seems that way. But in the eighties, it was you had a, str- a string, string, and and also for people of our age group. Um, How old are you? 43, 43. Okay, we're saying for a sec. Yeah. Um, some of the most like philosophically and spiritually influential films of my, you know, of, of our. Honestly, it's after the fact. You can take it. <laughs> you know. So, but at the time, I mean, I don't know that that. Maybe not necessarily was your perception of what was happening. So, what was your perception of what was happening in the eighties? Um, it would depend on the you know. It, it, there's like uh, depends on the each each project. You know, like each one. You're like, what do you want to say, and what are you trying to say? And sometimes the scripts were there, and sometimes you helped with them. But you know, you you were trying to express something that was in you. And as you said, taking your surroundings, organize them in some way, and then put them out in a way that was personal to you, you know, and not sort of formatted. But at that time, at that age, did you even, did you have that point of view on things? Or was I it- did, but I think, I think usually people are either, sometimes they can be, um, 
you know, very precocious in a few, some areas, and that doesn't mean they're not totally stunted or like kids in other areas. Right. right. So I, I had, I was precocious, I think, in some ways, but I certainly had a lot to learn about lots of other stuff. But I never had this sense that I was, um, I know this is going to sound like bullshit, but I never had a sense that I was, like, I thought, like, elitism is unartistic, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sure I had all the ego problems and all the bullshit that everybody else does, and I'm sure I'm an asshole. But I never <laughs> actually looked at someone and said, oh, I'm better than them because I'm an actor. Or right. I have higher status than them. I would see somebody who was, you know, could be working on an apartment building, and I knew they were already speaking their second language and had come here from another country. And I, I don't speak two languages. You know? or, <laughs> or if you're in a desert and a car breaks down, the most important thing is if you're a mechanic. Right. So those skills are a lot more important than... Being a, a performer, you know, but you could play like a mechanic. You, I could play a mechanic, yeah. right? Yeah. But I remember seeing at a party, and I would see like Randy Johnson or somewhere in Hollywood, and he was like this big, tall guy. Now this is a guy, a left-handed pitcher, who would, could throw like 170 miles an hour. Just but in a party, he's a just bird. a big, tall guy. But if <laughs> you put him in one area, then he's you know really excellent at that. So there were some areas I was good at, young, but I never really thought that it made me better than another person. There was something really, and then that doesn't explain my asshole behavior. <laughs> <laughs> do you think you're an asshole? Uh, I think everybody's a bit of an asshole. Of course, yeah, yeah. of course. But would you? But do you? When I you hope think not. About your, okay, so you, when you think about yourself, you don't go, "I'm an asshole." You don't. Yeah, but I, I'm sure if people saw me in a certain context or situation, they could assume it. But it's it's a it's also a weird thing if you're um, famous, which you, you must get a little bit now, because like you don't. Sometimes you might be in your own headspace or trying to think about something and. And if people come up to you and then they talk to you and you're not pleasant, they go, oh, he's an asshole or he's ungrateful or whatever. <laughs> right. But it's really just a weird thing to be always recognized. It still feels new to me. So when people come up, I'm like, what? Like it's still – it still feels – it's still surprising to me. So, I, so I don't have that moment of like, I don't have time for you. Like I don't I, – but I do understand that thing of, you know um, – because particularly, I mean, I see it happen sometimes with my family or in a relationship where it's difficult for me to switch modes. Like if I'm in a problem-solving right. right. mode yeah. and someone comes up and they're like, what you doing? What do you want? And I'm like, I just need a – I have to – because if I break concentration, I'm going to not – I'm going to forget yeah. this thing. And I think that's where the asshole behavior comes in where people think that you are kind of a jerk sometimes is if you're trying to focus on something else and you have to like – Switch hats and go, oh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm host of something. Right. <laughs> I, don't what I, I don't know what I'm hosting, but yes, hello, welcome. Yes. <laughs> Especially if you're trying to, you know, if you're trying to immerse yourself in a, in a part or concentrate on a, a problem, like you say, or something, or you're trying to write something. I always looked, whenever you were attached, whenever you were attached to a project, I always had this, and I swear to God, I'm not just trying to slobber on you, but I always had this feeling of like, oh, that must be cool, because Cusack's cool. Like, there was something about all the roles that you... Something about the characters that were, um, they were just more human. Like they, they were, you know, in a world, because I didn't relate to the, I didn't relate to the Rob Lowe's of the world. I didn't relate to the, like, you know, the, the unattainably, like, so fucking, there's something about, there was something that was very human about you being cool that felt like, oh, I could be that, or I could, I could aspire to be that. It was much more aspirational to me about the way that you chose roles and played characters and they were vulnerable, but then that's what made them cool in a way. Did yeah. you see that or is that a part of you? Well, I think you probably look at other actors or, or if you have like literary, if you look at the, the books that you loved growing up or characters, they were kind of savagely human, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you think it's your job as an actor to make your characters as human as possible, or or is it to just express a way that you think that they should be portrayed? I think if you think, uh, well, first when you're starting out, you're trying to figure out what you think, and then figure out how to express it, and then but then it, lately I've been thinking it's just more of a each project is a bit of a dream, waking dream, and then you you know you can play any part in the dream. It's all kind of parts of yourself, and so I think about it a little differently these days. Do you need time to come out of it after each project, or are you like the second you're done, you're like, okay, I'm good. No, it's uh, I think you sort of the way I look at it is you you know you you try to if I'm going to play get to play Brian Wilson, which is such a if I'm going to act you know, and I'm not acting like for money to fund other things that I do you know, um, yeah. which I do, but if I'm going to do stuff that I, where I kind of get a great role in a great film with great people and, you know, have the opportunity to make something good. Um, you just immerse yourself in it as much as you can and then, um, you know, try to bring up things, your own pain or your own things and give it, give it to Brian and see if you can merge yourself with that character. So it's a great kind of exercise or fantasy exercise you can do with your own sort of psyche. Yeah. To get it out or purge it or heal it or something. When you said you were that you were boxing, was that did that spin out of say anything? Yeah, I was a boxing fan before that, and um, and then when I did that, yeah, yeah. So I started working with this uh, great martial artist in California, Don Wilson and Benny the Jet, and mm-hmm. then worked with Benny for a long time, and then actually did a did a film in China with Jackie Chan, and Benny and I went back out, and we were doing it's fun. <laughs> There's you, also some like just sheer like hell raising adventurism is which is somebody gives you a call and says, We want you to go out to the Gobi Desert and you'll be doing a Chinese language movie and you're gonna fight Jackie Chan in the Gobi Desert. It's like what fucking business are we in? Like, <laughs> this is like the, <laughs> This is the business we've chosen. <laughs> like you have to just go and do, do it. That. And then you find yeah. out you're out in the Gobi Desert and they're speaking Chinese and there's like people on wires and flying around you and you know it's a good adventure like you know it's just, it's just, <laughs> you have to do it's that it's just hilarious if yeah. anyone ever gets that call the answer is yeah. yes 100% or, or if you time. say no then it's like you know then the fun's gone for you man like you, right. you should just start doing something else because... how do you find like uh, when you said like sometimes you'll do a job for like money to fund something else you do like like where do you fi- where do you find the joy and the passion and, and, and the art mm-hmm. within like a job that you just kind of took like even because you know you kind of took it because you want to get someone else going it's like it's the business is tough because you have to like sort of stay in the game and stay marketable to get the good parts and blah, blah, yeah. blah. it's whatever it's all boring, but um, but also like you know people do that stuff all the time like you can amazed how many auteur directors are making like burger commercials yeah. right you yeah. know it's like and it's like and then so now we all do our, our art for and then we pay the bills and it used to be a little different and maybe it's different for some guys but. Um, just the way it is. It's a little bit easier for a director to disappear, though. Like yeah. in, a, in a commercial, yeah. if you're an actor, you gotta, yeah. you gotta, you gotta really kind of yeah, stand so you, behind your. Or go so to you Japan just and make a commercial. You know, try to make, try, try to get the best things you can. Yeah. And you know, if, if you do, uh, if I do a movie like, uh, you know, you do one movie, it's all. This is all like um, inside baseball for poor me actor life. <laughs> but, you know, if you do like uh, Love and Mercy or the Cronenberg film or, you know, another kind of, kind of art film, you could do one movie will pay you a lot more than that. And so it, you know, pays for other things you do or other things you want to work on. And 
Yeah. Well, See, so, so, I don't, I'm, I'm at peace. I'm okay with it. You know, I think people can kind of tell when you're taking a job. For, <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're showing, if you're putting on the cape, if you put on the yeah. the tights and the capes, <laughs> you know, you're probably paying some bills. <laughs> so like you just you want to improv something in the middle of the film where you just turn to the screen and go, "Wait till the next movie," because this is going to make this all worth it when you see what I'm building up to. You know. Yeah, and then you end up like Norma Desmond at the bottom of a swimming pool. <laughs> But there we are. <laughs> I think that's why, you know... The, what's, your, what's your version of that? What's my version of Yeah, what's of, your version of, of, of uh, selling out, buying in? Um, I, you know, uh, well, I... I do love... I, 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 I like the zombie show, though. Oh, you like Walking Dead? I like, I like Talking Dead. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I appreciate that. I, my, the 1978 George Romero, Dawn of the Dead, yep. is... Yeah. A, well, I think those uh, Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead are the are I think great American films. They're so great. much, truly great, like high kitsch art. Not kitsch, yeah. not even kitsch. Just, just not good. even kitsch, but, but just the ideas in it. The how, I- ahead of the, how ahead of the times they yeah. were. Yeah, because it's easy to take for granted now. Like, oh yeah, well that's a thing, but it wasn't a thing. Racism, yeah. consumerism, the moated you know shopping mall as this feudal <laughs> fortress. Nineteen seventy eight. Yeah, come on, that's even beautiful. Even the idea of like the juxtaposition of the filmmaking of like horrifying you know undead people with like mall music, but like behind it, like so, there's a bunch of that that hasn't so been beautiful. done in horror movies before. Is great. Yeah, so beautiful. But also, you know, when you when you look at horror and what types of horror subgenres are popular based on whatever the kind of fear zeitgeist is, whatever the global, you know, so no, I, I think zombies are, I think I think z- zombies are big now because you know people keep thinking like you know our 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 world is such a local community now. And that there's going to be some weird biological warfare that's going to take out large swaths of the population, and this is like it almost kind of re. It, 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 it's, it's or a- globalization is happening so much where the you know the great corporations are there, and you know we're building walls around each other, and but obviously we all know that the rich are getting richer, and right. everyone yeah. else is getting fucked, and, <laughs> you know, and there isn't any sort of sense of a sense that we're all in it together, so there's going to be a blowback from that. Yeah. So Which Romero all these cultural also talked fears. about. Romero talked about that land of the dead, where it's like the rich people up on, like in the top of the buildings. Yeah, and I mean, own. one of my favorite writers, R. Dottie Roy, said the, um, the, the greatest secession movement isn't, uh, you know, the rich to their private towers, it's the rich to outer space, where they <laughs> look down and they go, what are those people doing with that bauxite in my mountain? What are those people right. doing by my river? <laughs> Wasn't that, a, that was Elysium, right? That was basically Elysium. Elysium. Pretty much that, yeah. Well, yeah. The, it's all science. The, yeah. All, yeah. The, all these genres Just, do it, or the genres taken, taken like, you know, the fairy tales or the, the, the mystery of the psyche, like, which is a more of a Rod Serling-esque kind of horror genre that I like a lot. Which I did, like, 1408 was that. It was more of a, it was more of a, it was more of a, Serling, Stephen King, Rod Serling, you know, the, the hotel or the oh, yeah, house, yeah. The Shining, is a metaphor for what's lurking in your subconscious. Serling, like Rod, Rod Serling's brain, I, I, I mean, I still, I'll still just put on, I'll just open my laptop in my bed and just put a, go on Netflix and just put on Twilight Zone and then just sort of zone which out. Ones, which, which ones do you love on that one? Um, I mean, I, I think that the first episode with um, where the guy's in the isolation capsule they're preparing him for outer space and he's in the town and he's isolated oh, he's by himself yeah, yeah. he's by himself I think it's called maybe it's Last Man on Earth uh, uh, but but that idea of of watching watching Serling explore um, the what a, what a mind can do to itself 
Yes. Those types of like deep sight. I mean, it, I mean, obviously, you know, I I love the um, the eye of the beholder, or it's like, well, how do you define beauty? And you know, where she gets the pla- the reconstructive surgery, and everyone's got the pig faces, and that's yeah. a really, that's such an interesting that's such an interesting comment on society, or the other one where you can pick a body and it's perfect and then this idea of when everyone is beautiful no one will be beautiful and it's you know it, he even he even got into like I, I, I correct me if I'm wrong but and you can <laughs> but didn't he have one where he had like some android boxer and it was like um, a Bud Schulberg thing with this kind of broken down yeah. android boxer yeah that was or kind of being set up like primo carnera to right. keep losing I yes. was like he was even into and artificial then, and, intelligence and, and, and then occasionally they would do sort of a comedy episode like he did the Buster Keaton episode where it, where Buster Keaton it's, it's all the, the first part of it's shot like a silent film and Buster Keaton's in the 1800s and the, his, he's working with this doc, he's like a lab assistant for this doctor or for this scientist and the scientist makes a time machine and then he gets sent forward into the 60s and it's not it's that it's, it's sort of that um H.G. Uh, Wells. It's that H.G. Yeah. Wells, like, utopian, like, oh, the future's going to be a utopia. And it's a complete dystopia. And it's the Eloy machine, yeah, and yeah, they're getting yeah, fed yeah, into yeah, the yeah, grind. Yes, 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 yes yeah. exactly. Um, but, I mean, you know, those different, like, no one, you know, who else was using sci-fi uh, in an anthology series to make so much commentary on, on what was happening in the culture that people yeah. weren't... Which again, not to sound like a pretentious douchebag. No, but the that's pulp, why the art's pul- important. And also the pulp writing, you know, they were just churning out kind of, you know, the penny dreadful types, those types of formats for writing, where 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 all these subversive, mischievous minds were given yeah. space to play, you know. Like and the, the, the couple of seasons of Star Trek in the sixties, yes, of course, like these giant morality plays. Of course, like the man that was half black on one side and half white, but the entire race of his planet was white on one side and white and black on the other side. He was reversed. And also, like when you think about the, the they were also that was a crazy meditation on American exceptionalism, like. In, in a weird yeah, way, sure. Yeah. So they were yeah. saying, you know, the, the, the Klingons were the Russians and stuff, but you know, it was a, it was a, oh, yeah, it was yeah. more we're, a naive we're, we're time. We're going to send the Space Navy into the universe and yeah, put, yeah. and bring American ideals yeah. to the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was it's but it was but show. it was a reflection of the it was a reflection of at least the aspirations of right of what what the American dream were. And I feel like I mean you know not to sound all old man about it, but I feel like now. Uh, an anthology series like now it, there's the, especially with horror and sci-fi there's sort of an economy of shock we have to shock people it, I feel like the I I, Black Mirror Black Mirror is, did you see Black Mirror yet? what's that? Black Mirror it's is a British, British show series. created by a guy it's named great. Charlie like, Brooker yeah and it's a it's a it's a anthology it's, a, it's an anthology so and I have an, a really good thing to watch like, you have yeah. a really good thing to watch there's yeah. seven episodes you'll love it six episodes and a Christmas episode and it's it's so fucking great because you know, it's British. There's six episodes and a Christmas episode. Yeah. <laughs> Look at all they do over there. I think they, yeah. I think they are going to make some more. I, 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 uh, I, it's what's so great about Black Mirror is that I can't wait. Oh, I, you're going to. So, it's so fucking good and dark and like you know, commentative. It's that 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 type of stuff doesn't happen as much anymore. Is it? Is it? There, there's a yeah. there's a real there's a real commentary. You've underneath. seen the original House of Cards, right? You, no. Yeah, the British House of Cards. Yeah. That's the one to watch. Yeah. yeah. 13 episodes, Thatcher, Britain, and it's <laughs> as brutal a take on politics, and it's abs- everything's still absolutely true. Oh, that's fantastic. And it's great, great. I mean, the new one's nice, too, but this, this one that was done a long time ago was so wonderful. Yeah, nice. you, 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 I, I, think, I think Black Mirror is something that – and it was on Netflix, but I don't know if it – Did it take it off? 
It, I think they've taken it off. They, did they bring it back? Well, but check right now. And it just starts. The episodes just start. Like, there's no guy saying, here's a tale of something. It's like, it's just, it starts and then you just follow the story along, but the figuring thing it out. The thing that's great about it is that Twilight Zone, so imagine the Twilight Zone if the world was consistent. The only thing that's consistent about Twilight Zone is that someone was going to get some form of comeuppance. But with Black Mirror, all the episodes without... It was, like, it was like the law of karma, right? Right. Ryan was into sort of... right. Right, Black Mirror is somewhat similar, but it's this kind of like um, oh, it is. So it's kind of this like slightly dystopian technological future that we're all heading. This, te- this technologically dependent future that we're all yeah. In. Some are further along than others, but it's all the stories are connected in very subtle ways. And if you watch them a couple of times, you'll start seeing threads that make me think that ultimately, if they were to, you know, if. Charlie Brooker was to make a, a couple seasons of the show that they might it might start to all tie together as parts of the mm. same but it's really I think you'll absolutely adore it the first episode especially I think you'll yeah. well, when was it made? a couple of, last year oh, year before last year yeah. and the year before yeah, yeah. what okay. else do you binge watch? Um, I've been uh, well you know Game of Thrones obviously a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of horror movies watched a bunch of horror movies over the weekend yeah um, so it's hard to find a, a, a good one of those, isn't it? Right? It is because horror. The Badabook was, bad so was okay. Yeah. yeah. That one? The which one? The Badabook. Oh, Babadook. Oh, Babadook. Yeah, Babadook. Great. Fucking great. Really yeah. good. So right? good. Babadook yeah. is awesome. Yeah. So like good. That. Yeah. But uh, you know, the, I did see one where there was you know very low budget, but there was something where <laughs> I can't remember what it was called, but there was a pit, like a mud pit. Yeah, in an Appalachian town, and that was kind of a, it was it wasn't a really good conceit. But I remember I was watching it with my friend Ned, and we had some. You liked it? No, no. no. <laughs> but I like bad horror too. Horror is yeah. one of those genres that that again, you, you can't really like a bad romantic comedy or a bad thriller, but you can like a bad. You can love film. a bad yeah, horror film because you, yeah. you you can love the effects, so you can love what they tried to do, or you can yeah. love what the. Concept oh, we sh- the shout and Freud saying, yeah, yeah. I could have been that actor. <laughs> I don't know. So let's give it a chance. You know, we could all be there. You know, let's give it a chance. But there's been a good run of horror movies lately, like with like a lot of those indie ones, like The Guest and It Follows and House of the Devil, like, uh, you know, the Ty West, uh, watching, You're Next, all the kind of. We've been watching a lot of the British I'll ones. I'll tell you what I've been getting into was there's some. Um, Japanese and Korean horror films. That oh, they're, they're fucking the terrifying. Takashi, fucking Mike. terrifying. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I can't even handle it's, that guy. It's pretty gory. Yeah, yeah. but, uh, like, do you ever see Audition? Yeah. Yeah, that one's fucking that's, gnarly. <laughs> just, yeah, watch it in the daytime. But it's, <laughs> and then don't, you know, and don't, don't, don't be nice to women. <laughs> and don't, Ever have sex with anyone? Don't yeah. ever. Don't just don't. Yeah, it's the, the, the Brit- <laughs> we've been watching a lot of the British ones, and what's interesting about uh, like British horror is that they they're much slower, and there's much more of like oh, there's a weird psychological thing that's happening here, as opposed to these these Korean and these the, the, the Korean ones especially yeah. where they're just like. We're gonna make you cry with imagery that's gonna fuck your brain up because this shouldn't be happening. Yeah. Mm. Uh, do you still read comic books? Do you still do you still? Uh, I haven't read any I, like new comics. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you, what, what kind of stuff do you? I saw like uh, the Daredevil on Netflix. Oh, so good! Charlie Cox, good. Yeah, really, yeah. really good. I like that one. We've been watching D'Onofrio's doing stuff again. I love. We yeah. watched D'Onofrio's great. We watched the first three episodes of Wayward Pines, which is actually a fun show. It's a it's a Fox show. Matt Dillon. It's a oh. Matt Matt Dillon, and it's it's kind of a, it's a little bit of Lost, Twin Peaksy vibe, and there's very much it has the soul of the prisoner. Did you ever see the prisoner? Well, that 
That's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. The, have you been to that town? No. There, it's a. It's an actual town you can go to. It's called. I don't. I'm not sure. I'm not pronouncing it correctly, but it's spelled like Port Marion, and it's in Wales. And someone, Patrick McGowan. That was just Patrick McGowan. Patrick McGowan. But there's, <laughs> McGowan. A, there's a great scene in one of those where he's talking to uh, whomever the new number two is. Yes. And they're saying so. And he says, "Well, what do you want?" He goes. Everything. To control everything. All information. Yes. All information? Yes. Collect it all. And you think of that and you go, oh, well, he's basically, you know, Keith Alexander. <laughs> or that's basically NSA's thing. We say, collect it all. All of it? Everything. Everything. They're like a huge data center in Utah. And well, you know, it's, it's incredible um, how prescient the science fictions and the horror. Oh yeah, things haven't changed is. a whole lot. Just, but just the speech that he gives them, are like, we're curious to know what's inside that head of yours, old boy. What are you going to do with that information that's in there? We want to know what you're up to. Like, basically, they want to get him, you know, Magoo and quits, and they want to know like what's in his head. And I think that, the, and the, the what the artists note too is that, the, or, or why maybe he wrote that is too is the first thing before they get you physically right, they have to get your imagination. Sure, right. So like. They just want to know why he resigned. <laughs> That's, it. That's it. And what are you going to do now that you've resigned? Yeah. It's basically like, what are your plans? I mean, now? so if he just said, "I resigned because I don't like you," <laughs> and they would have let, right, well, let him go. But no, no, you can't keep anything secret. But the prisoner is painful for me because it uh, it just that last episode, it, which is I think was just. I don't know what was going on. If it was like a, them bones, them bones, them bones, them bones. I don't know if it was sort of like a fuck you to the network, or if it was a, if it was like just weird. Like this is where the '60s abstract kind of art comes into play. Yeah. Well, I think at the you know the, whether you like the metaphor or not, there is no one in charge. Right, you can never have enough clearances. It's just a madhouse. Right. I think uh, whether they express it or not, I thought that was the only logical conclusion. But I don't know. A, it is one of the strangest. Episodes of anything ever filmed. Well, you know, it's hard. That's coherent. Yes. And, and, <laughs> because, and comes from a very thoughtful, like absolutely rigorous mind. And I feel like this is this. It, it's a very challenging thing to be a writer or creator of something where you can map out. OK, you, you, you hook people in and go, well, there's a conspiracy that's unfolding. And each episode you get incrementally a little bit closer to figuring out. What's going on? Who's oppressing whom? Who the villains are? Who the good people are? If they're going to prevail? If they're not going to prevail? And it's very difficult to tie up. Like the more the more intrigue you lay out, those are you know like fifty more loose ends each episode. And, and how do you at the very end tie that up in a nice bow and go? Here's the reason. Like it's, yeah, an, it it's a very difficult thing yeah. to do. And so we, when, whenever you're making a film, you're like, all right, well, do we have an ending? And sometimes you think, okay, we know the ending. And then, okay, well, we can figure out what happens before the ending. Sure. Because you know you have an ending that sort of have you doesn't, a- doesn't wrap everything into a bow, but sort of opens up another door, but you feel like you're done for now. <laughs> have you been on, have you been you on something that while you were shooting, you were like, I don't know how the fuck they're going to, and then in the end you go, oh, oh, I guess that's it. Like, have no. you been pleasantly surprised? <laughs> you know, you know exactly. Well, you know. The, you know whether there's an ending or not. You know whether there's an ending or not. Yeah. yeah you, and you know whether, the, you know, you, you understand where the gaps are, right? Just from experience, probably. But you can read a script and go, okay, well, I guess this is how this is going to play out. But then when you start actually making something, there's so many moving parts that maybe, yeah. oh, okay, well, on a page, I guess that works. But now that we're actually doing it, it this feels weird. This feels like it's not working as well. Yeah, there's all that stuff. Yeah, uh, it's just 
but then there's the other thing too, which is you can go, you have like th- three phases. You're either writing a script and then you have to cast it right and then shoot it. And if you do everything right there, you can still fuck it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because then you have a bunch of people come in, maybe who didn't have anything to do with the movie and they start to want to play with it and rearrange it or put a terrible score on it. So there's each phase of it is you have to sort of get lucky or be good or have enough juice to sort of look over it, but it can sort of wander off in any phase. That's where being a control freak can really fuck you up because there are so many things that you just don't have any control over that affect the outcome of a thing that has your face on it. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> that people, and, and, you know, I think non-performers don't understand or other people in the business like, hey, no one's going to say like, oh, the line producer fucked this up or the lighting guy did this. They're going to go, yeah. oh, John Cusack did this. Like, even if it has literally nothing to do with you. Yeah, okay. but, you know, the good news is sometimes, you know, other people have good ideas and they make it better than you. It's, so it's, it's never your failure or your success anyway. It's always a group failure, a group success. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there are four or five main players who can who are leading it or maybe one person who's leading it, but you can't, you know, you can't be in a good scene without another good actor. And it's something you both did. And then you have to have a sensitive cameraman and then you have to cut it right. And, you know, you have to give it care. And so that, you know, but it does, at the end of the day, they're like, why the hell were you in that movie? I was like, well, it's not my cut. (laughs) (laughs) Was it, is it, is it hard for you sometimes to, be a performer when you when you know when you feel so strongly about things that are going on in the world that are very serious that are affecting. Well, the, the only thing that I resent is if 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 somebody doesn't have a point of view, then maybe just don't have a point of view. Sure. But if you don't have a point of view, then don't pretend like you have a point of view. Like if you have a take on the material or if you have something to add, great. But it, you know, it just becomes this idea where people start triangulating for control over something. Right. And that's when I get like. You go a little crazy because it's like, well, you don't have any ideas about this. Why, why are you? I mean, in terms of like, if the director and the actor and the writer had an idea, then go with them. But if you, you know, if you don't have a take on the material, it's better not to mess with it. If you don't have anything to add, right? You know? And you know, you, that just comes to like common sense. Like when you're talking to someone, if they understand what the essence of the material is. But these bigger, but these bigger ticket items about you know the government and surveillance and and. Uh, you know, there are things going on in the world that are atrocious and, and you feel very strongly about these things and you know... But I don't that... think about them all the time. Okay. No. I mean, I don't think about it, you know. You can't. It would probably drive you crazy yeah. if you if you really yeah. sat all the time and no. just went, oh my God, there's so much horrible stuff. Yeah. Uh, but um, it all depends on, the, it depends on the movie too. Like, you know, if you're doing a movie like 1408 where it's about a guy going crazy in a hotel room and the psyche is your... Play, playing field then mm. anything goes like you know you, and then you just start to create with whoever you're creating with and the writers and stuff but if you're doing something that has more of a, a political bent or is, if, if you're going to if you're going to open that door go all the way right that kind of thing <laughs> but you know so it doesn't you don't have to get you don't have to cram every project with all of your thoughts right you know you have to be be so delicate with it or I guess. What's joyful for you? Like, where do you, what do you do to decompress or what do you do for yourself to, to take a break or find joy? Uh, in life? Yeah. I like road trips. Yeah. A lot. But it might be just from a life of sort of barnstorming. You know, like I have a friend who's a, played in the NHL for a long time. Nice. Chris Chelios. And he's a, 
he played like 24 years in the NHL, and you realize he's he, he's retired. He retired at 48, and he's a Hall of Famer, and he's he's such a different creature, you know. Than, you know, it's like a it's so foreign to to so many different parts of your life. But he's um, and he's and he just sort of keeps moving. You realize, wow, he was like traveling since he was. 18 oh, in a yeah. different city each night and he was like a barn store like he would come into a city <laughs> plays these games and then boom he'd be gone and now he's still so I think I have a little bit of that too where I get a little wanderlust because I've been traveling so much for so long that being on the road or being on the sort of movable space between here and there is a place where you can sort of think a little bit so I like going on road trips you know across the country or just getting lost I was thinking how fun it was with my, my dad have you ever done any like motorcycle trips or anything? No, no, I'm terrified of motorcycles. I feel like I would flip over the handlebars and the thing would chop me up in the gears. Is that what you, you do? I do that, yeah. But oh. I, but I'm, uh, I, I don't do the two wheelers as much because I don't want to have the broken collarbone or, or the thing, right? Right. By thing, you mean brain damage and broken skull? The the, the, the destruction of the body, right? Yeah. Uh, the crippled kind of. Right, thing. right, 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 right. So I do the uh, like motorcycle with the sidecar, or <laughs> right. I do like one the three wheel ones that like look so stupid, but I don't care because right. they're so fun. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, yeah, but a sidecar looks so cool. Just I know, that. I know. <laughs> I just but I but 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 so I'll just do those or you know convertible or whatever. Don't you get? Yeah. But then you get that vibe, which is maybe they'll get me, maybe they won't, but not tonight, and it won't be here. You know? That's all. That's what the road trips... That's yes. what you want out of the road trip, right? Yeah. You know, because exactly it's like, it. they, I don't know where I'm going. How the fuck do they know where I'm going? Right. Like, oh. Don't you ever feel... like I feel like there's a midpoint in a road trip, especially if you're going a long distance, where you almost feel... Where, where the road trip becomes a saga, and you know there's going to be recurring characters. No. Like, you know, yeah, yes. It's really good, too, because it's like, somebody showed up in Act 1. All right, we haven't heard the last of him. Who's that, little, who's that scurvy little motherfucker? Oh, yeah, he'll we we'll get more from him. Well, yeah. look, we just keep running into each other. <laughs> no, <laughs> you got to kill him, and, and, yeah. he, and he returns for yeah, just for some <laughs> debauched act three. <laughs> well, well, well. It, it's the it's you know you get like halfway out through a road trip, and then it's almost uh, it, it, how ironically freeing it is to be able to go wherever. There's almost something imprisoning about it because you're like, oh, if I don't. I can't just stop here in the middle of the, this cornfield. Like I'm stuck. I have to. I'm halfway in between 500 miles to get to the next area, and I have to. But I would imagine even being like on a vibrating machine the whole time. Don't you ever just kind of feel like weirdly claustrophobic by the ultimate freedom of it? No, the exact opposite. I feel like so. Um, it's like the exact opposite of feeling like you're stuck in traffic. Right. Hmm. To me, yeah. It's just like you know, I don't want to go on freeways. Just go on. Little roads and you're pulling up into some town and yeah. it's pretty cool. You don't know. You don't know. I, my, my parents, my dad hated flying and so we drove everywhere when I was a kid. And and you also have the great other added advantage, which is whenever you're somewhere, you can say, you know, the hunter line, which is like the decision to flee came suddenly. <laughs> you know, so there's all these you know games you get to play with yourself that are your favorite games. <laughs> do you rely? Right. Do you do you like using technology or do you like to figure it out? Old school style. Well, I did it one time, and I was like a little freaked out because I, I was going from Chicago to New Orleans, which is a great cruise because you can go on like the Natchez Parkway and you go to Nashville and Memphis and uh, all these places. And I came into this great diner in Memphis, and I took a picture of it. And I put it on one of those Twitters, or yeah. Mm-hmm. And then people came to the restaurant. Like I was like, oh shit. <laughs> 
<laughs> like I was just like, this is such a cool place. But you know, almost the yeah. second you send it out, yeah. Hey, John Cusack, send it from the next town. That's what you got to yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Do you ever think about doing one of those, like you know, like you and McGregor always does those, like down an entire continent or across an entire continent? See, I love that because that's just that gives me a lot of fun too. Like you know, the the thing with Jackie Chan it was like, yeah, I want to go to the Gobi Desert and like be out there in the in that place yeah. for four weeks. What was it like for four weeks in the Gobi Desert? It's really beautiful and just, you know, you just, I like being, I like traveling that way because you, like even if you're in a Berlin bar at four in the morning or if you have the opportunity to travel and you just see how much life is going past you and, you know, you just, and you realize how, in a way, insignificant your own psychodrama is when you see the totality of so much life Mm -hmm. and, and how, you know, what America thinks about isn't what the rest of the world thinks about and there's whole other cultures and things you can get into. So it's, I don't know, there's something about it that makes you, um, I don't know, gets you right-sized or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know, there's something beautiful about it, like being in strange places and just seeing life go by you. There's a, and there, being a part of it, but removed from it at the same time yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Connected, but it's not your... There's a, there's a line from a Yes song. I don't know why I'm telling you this. This is so stupid. There's a line from a Yes song that plays in my head a lot when I'm, especially, I just went to Europe and I came back... But it's that where'd line. You where'd you go? Austria. Fucking amazing. Yeah. Vienna and Salzburg. Yeah. Yeah, but they have a lot of. They're very obsessed with uh, chocolate, small chocolate desserts, dainties, and, and things everywhere, right? At, da- dainties very and then obsessed with dainties. Pretzel bread. They, they everywhere you go, pretzel bread. Did Nothing you go to the Botarium? Do you ever hear that? No. The Rudolf Steiner place. No. I've always wanted to go there. What was Vienna like? Um, Vienna is well. I, I mean, mean, I've been there a while ago, but. At first, it's it's so unbelievable because there's just there's just nothing like it here, and so when you see basically that what they did like the, all the, the kind of Habsburg um, construct mm. of Vienna, well, I mean basically everywhere now is a mall. So if you look at one story up, then you see the building. You know, like you see you know like these everything was just a fucking palace, yeah. just like a gorgeous white palace with with carved. Beautiful. I mean, the care, and and when you even think about the technology that was available to them at the time, the the fact that this was done and planned so well, and so and Salzburg is similar, but it's just quaint, and it's not as like you know Vienna itself. At least the the old part of it is um, everything's very white and pristine, and 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 kind of regal. And Salzburg is very uh, is quaint, and there's a, there's a lot of history, and so it. It, to, it feels. Do you, you have know, Austrian or German descent? Are you? Do you, do you? No, no. My um, it's Italian on my mom's side, and then Anglo mutt on my dad's side. Hill, it's like basically Northern English Scottish people that became hillbillies. Nice. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> it's basically what, basically what it was. That's the guy from Act One. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was. It was really stunning. But it, the, this this line from the Yes song is "Don't surround yourself with yourself." Which I think is so much a part of what our culture is now with recommendation engines and social media and everything. It's like our whole idea, like it's acceptable to surround ourselves with ourselves. And so sort of like what you were saying is like, oh, when you go away and you, 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 you see the totality of everything that's not who we are and you're connected but not connected. I feel like it's, I feel like it's a duty to get out of your in, in, sphere your immediate or sphere. a pri- privilege too if you can you know right you know if you can do it yeah for sure do it like if you if you go to china too if you think about it i don't know i think it's 1.6 billion people mm-hmm. so if you take the united states where we have 200 250 million 
three. It's like three. It's I think three? we're at like three, three fifty yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. So double that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And you're still a billion short. Right. Yeah. That's where all the people are. That's so. I mean, there's there's such a huge world out there, and it's so it's so it's just good to understand how. Sometimes it's very comforting to understand how vast it is. How much time do you give yourself in between projects to go fuck around versus, okay, I guess I should probably go back to work now? I don't know. I don't, I don't have any real set plan because you never know when things are going to pop or, you know, you're trying to, you sort of, I always think it's a little bit like you're, um, remember the old Topo Gigio? Yeah. Topo Gigio. And you're just spinning one plate and then you're running over, you're spinning another plate and then you're trying, this one's about to fall and you're trying to, and I don't and I guess... Because it's hard to raise money for movies. It's such a strange thing to do, you know? Yeah. And movie business is tough now anyway. But um, So you're trying to get a project going, but you never know exactly when it's going to come together. Was it ever easy or was it just hard in different ways? Mm, I think it was a little easier maybe when I was younger, but I think the business changed a lot. Um, there used to be a guy, like, remember they used to say, like... Uh, Oh, Pennsylvania was so much better when the mob ran it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right? It's like now the corporations have come in. It's yeah. The corporate mindset, and I don't mean to say that the players in Hollywood were like mafia guys, but they were individuals who had power, right? Right. And they weren't. They didn't have like a corp. They had corporate boss, but like, a, and they were. And they were. Uh, I had a couple guys, um, like a guy, a great producer Joe Roth, who used to run Fox and Disney. Yeah. And. He would, you know, he but he had like pride in his portfolio, right? And he was he's a filmmaker, friend of the filmmaker. So he would make like Con Air, and he would make The Rock and these big budget movies to get a lot of money. But then he would just give like six or seven of his of however many films he was going to make a year to filmmakers that he liked. And so I got to make Gross Point Blank and High Fidelity. Uh, Spike Lee got to make Summer of Sam. Wes oh, wow. Anderson got to make Rushmore, and that was all because there was one guy. You know who was in charge? Who like was like, hey man, I I'm, I'm I want to make films, and it's now so group thinked in corporate. So there are guys on top, but everything runs through committees and this. But I used I remember a time when I made a handshake deal with a guy, and I said, you know, whatever you, will however many days you want to shoot, that's what we'll shoot, and and you know, so I I, I had a memory of a time that was different, which doesn't really Gross Point Blank and High Fidelity don't seem like that long ago. I mean, Joe's still out doing his thing. I, I, I wish he'd run a studio again, but um, he's making a bunch of great, um, you know, uh, Hansel and Gretel, and he's doing a, a lot of fairy tales as a producer, and he's, you know, made, a, uh, I think, um, Charlie and Chalk. I mean, he's an incredibly successful guy, but when he was running a studio, it was a different vibe. Was the and I was younger too then, so also you know the the, the business keeps skewing along with Madison Avenue to. to Younger and younger people. So, yeah. You know, you get into your forties. I don't know. Maybe, but I don't know what. I, I don't know. I don't know how it works. Were they were Gross Point Blank and High Fidelity, which are both fucking amazing movies? Were they? I mean, that wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't be able to make. I, I wouldn't be able to make those movies today in this climate. I don't think. Were they fun? Did you have fun? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Good, 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 good. When people ask me my favorite movie. I always say it's Jaws and High Fidelity. Those are my two favorite movies. That's a strange and Isn't magical it? mystery. <laughs> but I love, I love those movies. Those so are my like, two favorite movies. What's your favorite speech in Jaws? Uh, the Indianapolis. There's only one. Right. There's only one answer. <laughs> there's only one answer. Robert Shaw, the Indianapolis speech. But also, I do like Robert only Shaw. One answer. I do like Robert Shaw's speech to the. Uh, to the city council when he scratches his fingers down the cork board and he goes, y'all know me. Second you know that's the second answer. That's the correct answer. Yeah. 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 Those are great. 
<laughs> Those are so good. I and mean, high fidelity is when Rob's talking to the camera and says, "Which is right? I am a fucking asshole." Uh, <laughs> at the green mill. Yeah. yeah. Oh, when he's laying yeah. out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. When he's laying out, when she goes and tells yeah. your sister in real life uh, all, all the things that you did. Yeah. Now, I mean, if you just so I don't sound like a total asshole, which I, I might. But if you look at that today, that's a studio movie where the lead of the film is admitting that not only did he cheat on his wife, cheat on his girlfriend, but then she got pregnant and she had to have an abortion and he had to borrow money. <laughs> right. And, you know, and it's very human. It's not particularly nice, but I don't know that I can't even imagine poll testing that scene <laughs> without the head of the studio oh, God, being yeah. a guy that I can make a deal with, you know, where's what you guys did so well. And by the way, it was in the book and it was all yeah. those things, but it's still, you know, it's just, it was a different, different time with high fidelity. What you guys did so well was just pull it. It's one of my favorite books too, but just pulling it from London and putting it in Chicago, you guys really did a very sort of seamless. Well, what I felt was when I read it was it would be a great, thing because the the difference really was is that we were obsessed with punk yeah and they were obsessed with rhythm and blues and soul but once you do that it was the same guys yeah, yeah. i mean take away the cockney sure. accent and put a, a chicago accent but it was the same issue same guys same trying to use sort of culture as a weapon to inoculate yourself from your feelings and you know all I, these things i also love how ludicrous it is that he that rob's character uh she, he's trying to find out if she slept with Tim Robbins' character yet, the world music guy. And she said, and, and it turns out she hasn't yet, so he immediately goes out and has sex with Marie DeSalle. Yeah. <laughs> and he immediately was like, okay, good. And then he just goes and sleeps with someone <laughs> right away. He's sort of a despicable... I mean, he's a wonderful, he's a wonderful, he's wonderful a character. He's but a he's a guy. Uh, he's one of the most human guys I've ever seen on Yeah, film, and then it's know? like you... And if you, if you put that stuff in, you, know, you can't... You, know, you just have to have a feel that... Oh, that's true, and that makes you wince. And okay, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing we can do that we haven't all done. You know, we've all made the same mistakes, maybe not the same ones, but so you know. So, in closing, because we, I think you have to do interviews. I'm told um, there's one last thing that I want to ask you about, and if you don't want to talk about it. It's totally, totally fine. I had read, or I, I will say right now that I categorically refuse to talk about this subject. <laughs> Great. Thanks for joining us, John. No, I, don't, I don't know what it is. <laughs> what is it? I had read or heard somewhere that uh, you were not, not, and that might be wrong, were not a fan of the Savage Steve Holland movies, The Better Off Dead. Like you oh. made it and then afterwards you were like, ah, this wasn't what I thought it was. You know, this might be one of those times where because of your age and stuff, you looked like an asshole and maybe you weren't. But I, I don't, I didn't, it was one of those things where I made it, and I was, you know, I was young, and we said you start to think about you valuing your worth over what yeah. you make it, and then I didn't really um, have a feel for it when I first saw it because of the score. But it was, it was fine. I thought it was a black comedy. It was good. But then what happens is you have to go. Um, back in the day, you used to have to do press tours where you have to go to another city each day, yeah. and they would talk, and they would want to talk about, you know the sure thing or they want to talk about those, that movie and you were trying to talk about what you wanted to talk about so it wasn't that I didn't I hated the movie or hated anything I just didn't want to keep talking about it oh right and then it became a thing where I was sort of hating it and I felt terrible because the, if the actors or the director uh, thought that then that was on me oh okay yeah I, just... I didn't I didn't you know I, I never really thought about it I was just sort of like on to the next thing but got you it know, 
But I was like 17 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And then, and then things get repeated because people ask you about it again and then they read it on Wikipedia and they'll sure. ask you about it. So it's like, Oh, it's still an issue. And I, I didn't, it I was didn't, not, it's not an issue yet. No, I was, I, but I, I had a, I had a hard time watching. I'm not, I'm not one of those people that like is afflicted with the curse of loving what they do so much that I can sit and watch and go, Oh, I'm brilliant. <laughs> it's always kind of like, Oh, I see the things I could have done better or things, you know, you wanted to be a certain way and then did fall short. So, you know, you, you learn over the years to stop having an opinion about things. Sure. And listen, but I, but I, um, but I didn't really, uh, um, I just felt bad that, uh, you know, I had nothing against any of it. You know, if people dig it. It's great. I thought it was, I remember the script being a great black comedy and, um, but, you know, you have different ideas of... I mean, I, I think a, a movie I made called Max uh, is good, really good. But, like, the score originally was a modern score. And the director sort of... I think he sort of lost his nerve and he wanted to put a traditional score. And to me, it's not... I want, the movie in my head has the proper score. Right. Oh. And when I see it, I, you know, it hurt. But these it are all things... Bit, it, yeah. it, these are all things in my doesn't mean people's experience sure. in the movie isn't good and yeah because i mean so uh i don't know like I, I was tired of talking at press tours about the same movie so i must have i could have said something bad about it i don't really remember <laughs> but i don't remember saying i don't remember it was a while ago it was a long time ago but also it just you know like that movie better off dead is one of those movies and so many of those movies were so uh, like i said they hit the soul and the core of just a generation of people who want And they weren't to successful when they first came out either. They weren't? No. Because in my young mind, I'm like, this is the biggest movie in the world. No, I've seen it, it a hundred times. I mean, it, it, it kind of came and went. But, but then, the, you know, I knew that the, the script had a lot of black comedy elements and surrealism that hadn't been done in the genre. Yeah. But, you know, I was looking at, oh, I didn't like the score. Or I wanted to, I thought it would be, the cinematography would be a little darker. And I was 17 years old, or 18 years old. So, yeah. Um, no, I don't have anything against Oh, good, good. I'm no. so glad. Yeah, I don't know. I, always, I mean, I love when he says, uh, Shane throwing away a perfectly good white Wait, wait, yeah. <laughs> I, right? <laughs> but I, I feel bad the director, you know, thinks I... Uh, you well, know, then this totally or, clears that up. Ah, I don't know. We solved it. <laughs> I, what can you do? John, we solved it. We solved it. <laughs> we solved... We set out to solve a lot of life problems. I think we solved all of them. Yeah, we figured it out. 99 out of 100. All the truth, we got there. Problems. But um, but I'm so glad we were able to do this because we've been we've been we've chatted over an email for the for the past yeah, couple yeah. years and obviously our mutual friend Jenny Jardine who uh, I love you Jenny the great uh, Jenny. the great Jenny Jardine um, I remember I just remember when when Jenny first did the podcast years ago she was opened up this app and she was like this is Instagram I love this it's a photo like she was years ahead of she's always years ahead of everyone yeah but um, you're welcome back anytime. Sure, and you know if you uh, if you <laughs> come <laughs> come to the zombie show if you want. Um, I'd like to be in the zombie show. You want to be in Walking Dead? But I, I think you know they said no, no, no. We're not taking any outside movie actors right now. We're fine. But I, I I love this. I love that show. You should totally be on that show. I'm going to make a call. Make I know a, call. a couple. You know people. you know a couple. I know a couple. Been a good governor. Oh yeah. 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 What's the, have you seen the new one? The fear. You know, the road one with Michael Rooker, who I made Eight Men Out with. Oh, right. Michael Rooker's a great actor. And my, my, Rooker's the best. Rooker's and, and just a good dude. Insane. He's an insanely <laughs> I love good Rooker. Dude. Oh, man, I got a gun range. You want to come out to my 
my gun range he's, and shoot guns. He's an insane dash ly dude. He's, uh, he, <laughs> saw some, he saw some play that I, I did with the new crime, one of my plays, and he says, "Now I know what it's like to be in the inside of your mind, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not pretty." <laughs> he's the best. Yeah. Well, thanks for being. How, here, how is that show? Good. Fear the yeah. side show. I haven't seen it yet. Oh. I hope it's good. I hope it's good, too. I mean, I want it to be good, uh, but, you know, I trust that it's a totally... What's going to be interesting is, you know, how do they do they make it similar? They can't really make it similar to Walking Dead, but in its differences, will people be happy with those differences, or are they going to go, well, this isn't like Walking Dead. Like, no, it's a fucking different show, you know? But so, it'll have to be, if, as long as they use the existential crisis for... For the characters to face themselves, I yeah. think that, if that threat is there, you know whatever it is. And as long that's as the what's audience beautiful about the first one, and that's what's beautiful about the genre. As long know, as the audience works. is okay with not ever knowing, like uh, knowing what is what the what it is, what the virus is, because Kirkman has flat out said you're never going to know because it's not important to the story. What's important is that this is what's happening, and these are how these. Hey people man, are read Revelations. It. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like. <laughs> 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 you know, God doesn't tell you. He just says, "Beasts are here." Yeah, fuck yourself. Would you mind signing our our guest book? Sure, that was fun. Oh man, that was a good time. Oh, enjoy your burrito. Oh yes, enjoy your burrito. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.